It's the graveyard shift, so I don't mind if you fall asleep. It's being recorded so you can watch back later, and then it's relaxed so you can come up, help yourselves to brownies and cookies, and um, those ones with chocolate on the top. What are they called? Caramel shortcakes, slice, millionaires, and then there's coffees and teas there as well, so... Tonight we've got a hot topic on angels and we're doing this one because loads of people have been asking me to, do, to say something on angels because it's a fascinating topic. So uh, we're going to get into it. So uh, let's just crack on. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's begin. So full credit to my systematic theologies, my lecturer Stephen Clark, my friend Paul Blackham, the church father books I've got. I was handed a book today by Billy, not by Billy Graham, but written, yeah, well, he didn't hand it to me, he wrote it, someone else handed it to me. And between all that, I've got some things to say about angels. Right, question one, why should we study angels on a Sunday night? Well, here's Roald Dahl, okay, from the Twits. If a person has ugly thoughts, it begins to show on the face. And when that person has ugly thoughts, every day, every week, every year, the face gets uglier and uglier until you can hardly bear to look at it. A person who has good thoughts cannot ever be ugly. You can have a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and sticky out teeth, but if you have good thoughts, it will shine out of your face like sunbeams, and you will always look lovely. That's good, isn't it? So, we're not here to think horrible thoughts and I, depressing thoughts. We're here to take our thoughts high to the angelic realm, which is good for us. Now, some other sort of side parts. I'm not tonight going to talk about the, the angel of the Lord, um, the second person of the Trinity. I've done a 20-minute video on YouTube. You can watch that one. And I'm only briefly going to touch on Lucifer and demons. Okay, so that's out the way. Here's why it matters today to think about angels. I know some people who aren't nutters, who I trust, and they claim to have met angels. Don't know if you're one of those. I know at least five people who, don't, who aren't given to making stuff up or taking lots of recreational drugs, and they claim that they have met or at least been helped by angels. And we're to take this seriously. Often in the middle of nowhere, someone has miraculously turned up and helped them and then miraculously vanished again. Some of us may have even entertained angels without even realizing. That's what Hebrews says. So maybe all those people are mad and they're wrong, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Here's an interesting story from the 19th century by someone that I have studied. He's called John Patton, and he was a missionary, right, to the New Hebrides Islands, Cannibal Islands. He said this, Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night. This is what his biographer was saying about his trip. The hostile natives were intent on burning the patterns out and killing them for bringing the gospel to the island. John Patton and his wife prayed all night during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. 
When daylight came, they were amazed to see that unaccountably the attackers had left. They thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the cannibal tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept you and your men from burning down our house that night and killing us. The chief replied in surprise, who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, there were no men there, it was just my wife and I. And then the chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments and drawn swords in their hand. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. And that actually made the national news that story. There's a danger that we worship angels and obsess about them. I don't think that's our danger in our like wing of Christianity. Um, I don't think we're in danger of that. I think our danger is we play this topic down too much and don't think about it enough. Um, there's a Dr. Heiser. He's got loads of teaching on angels and he says the role of angels has been radically diluted by protestant scholasticism that's our kind of like academic theology and he says what we do is when anything happens to us we just go oh it's god god did it or the holy spirit did it without any recognition of how god might have helped us and maybe even used angels principalities powers and thrones to deliver us so we we shouldn't always go it's just god just leave it there because there's a system in place to keep us safe. And we're to learn about that and worship God for it. Another reason we play it down, I think, is um, lots of our Bibles are based on the Hebrew um, Scriptures. Whereas in the oldest versions of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, the Greek, it often says phrases like this, the angels of God. And the Hebrew, though, has this phrase, the sons of God. And that's two radically different meanings. Angels, was it the angels of God or was it the sons of God? Or what do they mean by the sons of God? And most of our Bibles are based on the Hebrew. Now, I'm not getting into which one's right, but I'm saying that's another reason perhaps why we don't often think about angels because our, our main Bible versions don't mention it as often as other Bible versions do. And so I think we don't draw enough comfort from the angelic realm that we should be getting. The early church did. Jesus definitely did. And he even teaches, and we'll look at this later, that each one of you here has a little angel guarding you. We don't think about that really, do we? We'll get into that. When did you last think that you have an angel assigned to you, at least one? We don't think about it. I think we would feel less alone in life if we had a better grasp of the angelic realm. So, angels. Let's get into it um, in a warm way. Otherwise, what's the point of learning anything? What do you know about angels? Take 10 seconds and have a think. Maybe grab a cup cookie because I want to have a sip of my coffee. So, in your own heads, 
If I asked you to write some things about angels, what would be the top of your list? Have a think. You can see that Levi's got some thoughts there, chatting to his mum. All right. The wording. Angelos uh, in the Greek, or malach in the Hebrew. <laughs> it is right. Um, in the New Testament, hello, welcome. Hey. In the New Testament, it often mentions heavenly creatures. In the Old Testament, though, it gets a lot more detailed. And he says things like seraphs, cherubim, heavenly hosts, sons of God. There's that phrase again. Living creatures, the watchers. That's what they're called sometimes. Often uh, the angel of the Lord is mentioned, but that's a separate topic. So, you've got your list in your head. Let's see how it compares to this. The nature of angels, their beginnings. The beginnings. Their origin. Here's the first point about their origin. Angels in the Bible are created beings. Was that in your list? Created beings. And they spend most of their time in a created environment, which is heaven. All right? Because God has not always had angels. They came along a bit later in Genesis 1.1. They're not there yet. Phil, could you read in a loud voice Psalm 148 verses 2 and 5, please, as we rehearsed earlier? Created and they're his. The angels are his. Here's another one. Um, Colossians 1.15. Jesus the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. So Jesus has got a stamp of authority on these angels as well. Things in heaven and on earth, things which are visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers... All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He holds them all together. That's Colossians 1, 15, 17. So all the angels are from the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus, and they do his bidding. A bit like, like some of the church fathers said, you know pets, when you've got a pet... That's like a little version of what the angels are like for God. At least they're supposed to be. So they're to do our bidding. They're meant to, they're meant to do our, like a little dog. <laughs> like, have you got a little angel dog somewhere in your house? Or a cat? Apparently they've been created according to the church fathers to remind us about how the angels operate with God. But mine's gone way off. I don't know what's happened to mine. But you do get what they mean. So these are his angels, right? Which is why I cannot believe the blasphemy I hear among little children in primary school playgrounds who have reduced the name of Jesus to a swear word. And this is the same Jesus which stands over and above countless myriad warrior angels who are doing his bidding. And somehow this country has gone so godless it's just this word Jesus is just nothing. How far we've slipped. These angels are many and they are coming back 
and they are leading the way for King Jesus to return because they are his, they are many, and they are coming. So that's their origin. Second bit on their origin, um, if you read the creation of them, it does not say anywhere that God created demons, fallen angels. He created angels. Here's the third point about their origin. They're not going anywhere now that they're made. Uh, the Lord Jesus teaches in Luke 20. Uh, he's talking about us when we're going to be resurrected with our bodies on the great last day. And he goes, my people are never going to die for they will be like the angels. So they're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere in the new heavens and the new earth. Staying on their nature, here's their form. What do they look like? Have a little 10-second think when I go back over here for my drink. What do they look like? We'll take Ezekiel out of the equation here because his are like cats with wheels coming out of their ears and stuff like that. But generally... Uh, in the other books, what does an angel tend to look like? Okay, do they have form or not? So there's loads of cultural ideas on what angels look like. Um, some have them sitting on clouds and eating cheese and playing harps. Here's that, you know, the Dairy Lee adverts. Early Christian thinkers, though, before those profound adverts of deep philosophy and meaning were around, they said that angels have form and can appear like as men or people. But then the medieval period happened and it was like um, influenced by Greek thinking. So the angels got reduced to ghostly figures in theological thought in the medieval period. So then they started fighting over questions like this, which the Bible never asks and the church fathers never bothered. Questions like this. Huh. How many angels could sit on the head of a pin? Have you ever thought about that? You haven't done that philosophy question, have you? How many angels could fit on a pin head? Well, that's what they would argue about in the medieval period because they were these ghostly figures now, but how big? Don't know. But here's what the Bible says. They have form. They're never told, we're never told they got flesh and bones as such, but they're solid. And they seem to be limited to one place at one time. In Genesis chapter 18, two of them get their feet washed, for example. And here is really the only time I'm going to mention demons this evening. The fallen angels. So that the evil angels, although they're not actually given that title anymore, angels. We'll just call them demons. Those creatures that want to destroy us and church... They are formless since they've departed from the way of God. Here's Mark chapter 5. When the man possessed by demons saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. There's an account of someone possessed by evil fallen beings. Now, some scholars think that word legion 
can be between 6,000. Others say 36,000. Others think that word legion in Greek means up to 70,000. So that could be thousands of fallen beings in control of one person. So these guys seem at the fall, when they rejected God, to have lost a privilege. And the privilege that they've lost is form. Form. So, now, fallen angels, they have to possess a creature to have form and recognition. You don't see that about the other angels who have form, which is fascinating. Um, the demons, they have to have a host on earth. They're like parasites, like their father Satan. Parasitic, everything about them is dark and fallen but not the angels who have kept their form. So a note here, right, as I want this to be devotional as well, it is the common grace of God that keeps all of us and all of Cardiff from being in a state like that guy Legion. And hardly any non-Christian recognizes the kindness of God. If Satan and the fallen angels had their way, every person in Cardiff would be like Legion, just utterly ravaged by evil and darkness. What was Legion like? It says, night and day he was in the tombs and he would cry out constantly and cut himself and harm himself with stones. That is how Satan would have every human being. So if you're not a Christian tonight, maybe tuning in at home, do not be fooled. Satan is not our friend. He's not. He comes with a smile but his aim is to torment us. No angel, though, has ever had to possess a creature to have form. If you're making notes or you're going to watch back later, you can learn more about their appearing and their form in Genesis 2 verse 1, Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, and parts of Galatians. Here's a belter. Here's a great one. 2 Kings 6. Listen to this. Like, there's an army of these guys, the good ones. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them, the baddies. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he, my friend, may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's interesting that Elisha seems to see angels loads. Um, and he asks others, can you see them? They're like, no. I don't know why Elisha could do that. I don't write it off that people could see angels today. I don't think we should either. But if nothing else, it's a lovely picture that we are protected um, by these beings. Also, if you make a note, Psalm 148, 1 to 4, Psalm 89, verse 5, Daniel 4, 13, 17, Luke 22, 43. Here's my favorite appearing in the Bible. All right. Because it, it just cracks me up. I've shared this with some of you before. This is still on them appearing and what they look like, by the way. Acts 12, 2, 12 to 16. So here's the context of Acts 12, 12 to 16. Peter has just come out of prison. And he's going to someone's house to let them know he's just come out of prison and he knocks the door. And a 
girl called Rhoda answers. Right? Here we go. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. Do you remember what's coming? It's brilliant. He knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Here's why that's funny. And also quite convicting for us. There's the idea that Peter might be at the door is so ridiculous, they just go, there's no way it's Peter. He's in prison. It's probably just his angel. Thanks, Sue. Sue gets it. It's f- I think it's funny because to them, the fact that Peter's angel is at the door is a lot more believable to them than it could be Peter. It's just his angel. But to us, we'd be like, what do you mean it's just his... What's, what do you mean by his angel? But back then, they seemed to be so much more heavenly-minded. It's just like, oh, it'd just be his angel. Don't worry about that. Quite common. Peter's angel just walking around and knocking the door. Well, I thought it was funny. Right. Next. Moving on. Hobbies and things they think about a lot and enjoy. <laughs> Uh, I'll get another sip. You think about what do angels think about a lot and enjoy and do they have any hobbies? We're leaving no stone unturned. Like, okay, let me just hammer home the last bit. Let's say Phil was on his way here tonight and uh, but he gets a flat tire and he texts, oh, my tire's flat. But then, 10 minutes later, there's a, the doorbell rings. Nick goes to answer the door. And we all say, it can't be Phil, it must just be his angel. That's how they thought in the early church. Anyway, hobbies. Do, they, do angels have more, and what do they think about? What, like, what do angels think about? Do angels have more knowledge about stuff than you? All right, one nod, two nods. Like if they were on Trivial Pursuit or something, would they beat you? Jensen, the thumbs up at the back. He thinks yes. All right, next question. Do they have more knowledge of the gospel than you? Thumbs up from Jensen again. He's, He's lying down, so all I can see is this little thumb coming up from behind the pews. It's like an angel. All right. Okay. So, angels can think... And they have like personal qualities and characteristics. So in 2 Samuel 14, there's a woman of Tekoa and she says to the king, you are wise like an angel. Okay? And in some other areas, there's like this. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, but about that day and that hour, no one knows when the return will be. Not even the angels in heaven know, nor the son, but only the father. And that phrase, not even angels know this one, indicates like they know, like if they don't know, no one's going to know. Do you get it? It's like hyperbole, isn't it? Not even the angels know this one. 
So I think we could say they're quite knowledgeable. You read more about that in Ephesians 3.10 and 2 Peter 2 verse 11. But here's the point I want to hammer home for this section. I don't think they know the gospel as well as your average Christian. Okay? They are, according to the Bible, longing to know Jesus in the way that you do. Longing for that. So they might win trivial pursuit, but you've got something on the angels. Um, here's 1 Peter 1.12. Those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit uh, have been sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. He says that after he's been talking about the gospels, uh, the gospel. So they wish they could know Jesus like you'd, you do. And they love the gospel, but they don't quite have what you have. It says, doesn't it, in Luke 15, the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. So if you want them to have a party tonight and you're not a Christian listening, if you want to set the angels off for one tonight, like a party, give your life to Jesus right now as you listen to this talk. Join the team. So what blows their minds seems to be this question, like how is Owen Batstone going to be here in heaven with us? How is that happening? And that's what gets them going in heaven. Uh, they long to know the answer and experience. They love the gospel and they think about it a lot, the power of it. More than once in the Bible, they send someone else to go and explain the gospel because it's almost like they know it, but they just can't do it as well as you. Um, almost because it's more powerful to us than it is to them. Perhaps they could have done it, but they send people to explain the gospel. Here's two examples, and then I'll tell you why it's important. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord, not Jesus, another angel, said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there, Philip finds a eunuch and tells him the gospel from the Old Testament. Do you remember that story? Now the angel could have gone and done it himself. But he, knowing the situation, gets Philip to go and do it instead, which is fascinating. And then in Acts chapter 10, with Cornelius, an angel sends Cornelius to go and find Peter to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have explained it himself, but there's something about Peter, with all of Peter's flaws and sins, and how much that he's been forgiven, He's going to do it in a better way than the angels possibly can. Why did we touch on that bit tonight? Because there is no one better place to share the gospel in your situation than you. Like Jesus would rather you be in the staff room, you be in the church, you be in the coffee house, you live on the street you live, than just calling on Michael to come and do it for you. You have that over the angels, and I do as well. There's no one better to share the gospel than us in Cardiff. Sub-question. Goodbye. Three gone. Lost them. Just for the camera, that's my wife and children. I'm not like humiliating someone who's leaving. Well, I am, but, uh, you know, it matters less. <laughs> Unless it doesn't, and I'm going to find out when I get home. Should I just stop talking? I'll get back to angels, yeah. 
Right, don't forget there's teas and coffees there and some biscuits. Right, here's a sub-question li- li- linked to what they think about and what they enjoy and like, what gets them going. Do they communicate with one another? And if so, how do they express like, what they know and what they love? Right, I'm going over here for a sip. You ever thought about that? Do they communicate with each other? Take 10 seconds. Right, seems to be in the Bible that they do. They go back and forth with each other quite a lot. And they don't really ever talk about the football or the Formula One. Here's Isaiah 6.3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him, seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And they do that a lot. They would not, on a Sunday morning, drag their feet to church, slump at the back, and be like, "Mm, I'd rather be shopping. They are calling out the glory of Jesus. And on Sunday mornings, when we gather to do that, we are tapping in with a song which is reverberating through the heavenly realms. Glory, glory to Jesus. That's what they're about. And we get to do that on Sundays. They just wouldn't understand any other mentality than coming with full hearts to praise the King of glory. Zechariah 2 says, oh, the angel was speaking to me. So they talk. Revelation 7, verse 2, you can see more. Revelation 14, verse 18, they talk. What language do they speak? Who said Welsh? I heard that, Phil. Welsh. Don't know. Maybe their own. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that you've read at weddings, probably talks about the tongues of angels, some debate on that. Is it a language? Or is it hyperbole like Shakespeare? It's like he's using the tongues of angels with his well-crafted words and his lofty, beautiful words. Don't know. But they do. They use some sort of language. If you know more than me, let me know later. Now their next big point. The number and organization of the angels. Now then, do you find this? I do. Chaos is like utterly god, like ungodly. Chaos is just the opposite of God. Do you find where order fails, like everything just capitulates into like a hellish, like, well, hell? Have you ever asked why? Like, why does order matter? Why does order seem to be written in our very fabric of being? Have you ever slobbed around for the day? Like, order's just gone. And um, you didn't even get out of your pajamas. And then at the end of the day, you feel horrid. 
and um, you may have sinned many times along the way. Did you ever, do you ever find that? Like even little glimmers of lack of order in our lives does not bring life and joy. Do you ever, did you find in high school on non-uniform day that there was just chaos in the classroom? Like people are worse in non-uniform day. Did you find that? Um, it was almost like, oh, the order's gone. I haven't got my shirt on. I'm in my Man United kit. Let's go nuts. Did you used to do that? I didn't either, but, you know, some others did. Um, Have you seen when children get too much power over their parents, like the natural order is usurped, and, or even over teachers these days, and then do you see what they end up like when they're older, when the just order is stripped away? There's something about order. God is the God of order, and it's always better, even though we don't always, like, really know it. We kick against order, but it's always better when there's order in life and good tradition. Not the bad type, but good tradition. I would be slow as a church to rebel against order. So many people go, oh, I don't need church. I don't need a minister or elders. I'm my own church, and no one gets to tell me what to do. I'm like, it's just me and then, like, two months later, they're not even Christian anymore. Like, it's a serious thing to go against order. That because God is a God of order, and in the heavenly realms, there's order, rank, and file. And when we do a bit of that, it's better all around. In heaven, there's this heavenly host Revelation 5 says thousands upon thousands. Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, Psalm 68, 17. I've said Revelation 5, and they are all ordered with jobs to do. Here's Matthew 26, 53. Um, Peter's kicking off. The Lord Jesus Christ says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Remember, that's like 12 times 72,000. And the order, rank, and principalities and powers that Jesus could have just called on at any time, and now we're back to my original point, what do we think about in life the most? What occupies our emotions, stirs our affections? What do we wake up thinking about? Um, Lots of young people at the moment in school, they get deeply depressed because someone on Facebook has unfriended them. You hear that a lot. Someone's unfriended me, so my life is over or you might think oh my children don't like me or I'm putting on weight or I'm losing my hair or something it's like what do we think about in life the most because the Christian is to go higher than that stuff in school and in life and to help people go higher and now the Bible speaks about this world which is bigger than Facebook friends unfriending us, so it does matter in the day-to-day life. And the Bible speaks of order and classes of 
angels which occupy the angelic heavenly realm. Um, there's these words. I'll bundle a few things together for the sake of time. Ephesians 3.10, Colossians 2.10, Colossians 1.16, Ephesians 1.21, Colossians 1.16, I said that one, and 1 Peter 3.22, mentions RK, um, exusi, um, thronoi, uh, denumis, like, um, powers, principalities, um, thrones, and dominions occupy the heavenly realms right now. Rank, file, dignity among them, and it's all for Jesus. Right now going on above us on this Lord's day. All of them in order subject to King Jesus. And the Bible says that is what lasts. That world Get your mind in heavenly places, it says. You don't need to worry if someone unfriends you on Facebook. The Christian can go higher and literally focus on a Sunday evening on thrones, powers, principalities, more than my looks, my money, my health. There's a dominion of Jesus. And Cardiff City can go higher than what it's being bogged down in. But guess what? We've got to go higher. There's order and rank, and we are a part of it, and we're to reflect it and have hope in it and express it that we are safe, and there's a heavenly host keeping us every day. And they win. Evil doesn't win. They win. Order and jobs among this rank. Right, there's a group of angels and they begin with a C. What are they called? Cherubim. Cherubim. I hoped you'd take a bit longer because I wanted a sip. Cherubim. Um, let's have a little cheeky closer look at them. What do cherubim do in the Bible? Bear in mind this is rank, order, and jobs. In Genesis 3.24, they, they are the ones which are sewn on the curtain, blocking people getting to the seat. That's the cherubim. They gate, they're also the ones hammered on top of the uh, mercy seat in Exodus 25. You'll read about them in Psalm 80 verse 1, Psalm 99 verse 1, Isaiah 37 verse 16, and Hebrews 9 verse 5. Right? They gaze at the seat of the Lord. They gaze at it in the tabernacle, in the temple, and they're gazing at it in heaven, which these are little pictures of in the Bible. They also... In 2 Samuel 22, 11 and Psalm 18, verse 10, they comprise the chariot which Jesus is going to return to earth on. That's the cherubim. So they literally are the chariot that he's riding on when they return. That's one of the cherubim's job. I bet they're getting excited about that job. They take various forms in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 4. But here we are. More than any other creatures, they, the cherubim, are destined to reveal the power, the majesty, and the glory of God on earth. They guard his holiness in the Garden of Eden, in the tabernacle and the temple, and they descend with God back to earth. So you're all going to see them. They're coming. Then there's another group in this order and rank, and they begin with an S, and they are called Seraphim. Seraphim. Now, 
I actually don't have too much left. So if you do want to get another cookie, you're running out of time. You better shuffle before we get to seraphim. Okay? Oh, very healthy. Seraphim. Isaiah 6, 2 and verse 6. They like humans. That's what they look a bit like us. But they're the ones with wings. And they like swiftly execute the commands of the Lord in the scriptures. And they stand as servants around the throne in Revelation, singing, big singers, and doing his bidding. And at times, right, the seraphim are not around the throne anymore because they're dipping in to planet Earth. And I don't see any biblical warrant to say that they don't do that in 2023. Okay? So we might ask, Oh, can Jesus handle me today? I'm going through so much. I think if we think about the rank and file that he's in charge of and handling quite well, I think he can handle us when we wake up tomorrow and face what we've got to face. This isn't ethereal stuff. Don't make church a bubble, and then on Monday you go back into the real world. The Bible's like, no, that's the bubble. The real world is the powers and principalities that are coming back one day, and he can handle you. And then there's two famous angels who, they're distinct from the rest in the scriptures because they get, the Protestant scriptures actually, if you read like the Ethiopian canon, you'll get a few more names. But this Bible here, there's two which are distinct from the rest. They get a mention by name. They seem to be the top dogs because they've got this title, Archangel. There's two of them. Right. What are they called? Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel means God is my strength. And you can read about him in Daniel 8, verse 16, Daniel 9, 21, Luke 1, 19, 26. And he's probably one of the seven mentioned in Revelation 8, verse 2. He is the dreams guy, to use my language. The special mediator and interpreter of dreams and divine revelations. So usually, if someone's getting a message... They don't quite get it. Gabriel's dispatched to help them grasp it. Like Jensen and Levi just left. When, when Levi was young and he didn't understand things I was saying, I'd say, right, Jensen, go and interpret what I just said to Levi because they had developed this little language of their own. So he would carry the messages and Levi would be like, oh, okay, that's what he means. Okay, that's Gabriel. Off he goes. That's how God helps people sometimes. Gabriel gets the job. Then there's Michael. Uh, his name is who, who, who is like God. Michael is like God. And you'll read about him in Daniel 10, verse 31 and 21, Jude 9, and Revelation 12, 7. He is called the archangel, and he seems to be a warrior that you don't want to have a fight with Michael. And what I get excited about is those that have left our church family and entered heaven have probably met Michael. I just, I think we should think about that more. Next, what do they spend all their time doing? What do they spend their time doing? And I'm going to go over here for my final sip. What do angels do in the day? They play rugby. Do they work in the post office? 
What do they do? My friend uh, Paul Blackham gave a helpful illustration once in one of his sermons about something. God appoints angels to do his work. Coming back to the, don't just make everything God. Like, try and think about how God might be working. Now then, so he says this. We know that our food comes from God, but it also involves the shop and the farmer and things like that. So all good things come from God, really, but like the shop and the farmer are the angels. Like often to get a job done, to help us in life, he uses angels. He actually uses people as well. But to build his kingdom, he often, it is God, but actually there's he gets others doing his jobs. If a manager in a shop did everything, like everything, if, if a manager in the shop does the accounts, the deliveries, the labor, the sales, and the advertising, the other staff in the shop would think, well, what am I doing here? What's my point? He's doing everything. And they just stand about. But the living God has co-workers that's what Paul says. And his co-workers are church members. He uses you to spread the kingdom of God and me. And he also uses angels. Because he loves us and wants everybody in this room tonight to have a place in his love and purpose. So he gives us little jobs to do. That's more like how he is as a manager. And he uses often angels. So the main two jobs of angels as we trickle near the end are to serve Jesus and to serve church members. They seem to be a summary of what angels love to do. Serve King Jesus and serve his church members. Um, they're called in Psalm 104:4 ministers of God. Okay? Here's Daniel 7 verse 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was as white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Ready? Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before the Ancient of Days, that's God. The court was seated and the books were opened. And they do his will in Psalm 103 verse 21. And they adore God. They adore him. And that's our privilege as well, to adore the living God and to do his will like the angels in heaven. But chiefly, the one that the Father and the Spirit set forth to everyone in the cosmos to really focus on and love is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the angels seem to chiefly love him. Like the Father just sets Jesus up before them all in heaven and they're all like, him. I am glued to him. So Hebrews 1.6 says, let all the angels worship Jesus. And in Revelation 5, 11 and 12, they sing a song. And the content of their song is this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
for sinners. These angels and powers and principalities love Jesus and they minister to him. So you'll read in Luke 1, 26 to 38, they're there when his mum gets pregnant. They're there at his birth in Luke 2, 9 to 15. They're there when he gets tempted in Matthew 4, 11. They're there when he's in agony in Luke 12, 43. They're there at his resurrection in Matthew 28, 2 to 7. And they're there at his ascension in Acts 1, 10 to 11. And they are there when he comes back in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. They love Jesus. And they oversee his creation and preserve it the way he wants them to in Revelation 14 and 16. And they inflict his judgments in Daniel 4 and Acts 12. Listen to this. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. So these aren't little, um, you know, fluffy kittens that you can just kick about. They're pretty hardcore. In Matthew 13, it says this, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the angels inflict the judgments of God. May I appeal to you all, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to him this evening. And then the last main thing they do, the main job too, and this is super exciting obviously, because Jesus is married to his bride, the church, the angels also minister to Christians that are sat before me here. Um, if you have ever met an angel, it's worth asking why. Like, why did I just meet an angel? And generally, the answer isn't this, because I'm worth it, or I've earned it. It's basically, according to the Bible, it's this. The Lord Jesus Christ loves us, amazingly so, and so now they're on our side as well. And they love pleasing him, and pleasing him is keeping his church. He's like our elder brother, you know, in one sense, and he gets the whole classroom to protect us now because, oh, he's with us, and all the class are going to be with us as well. So Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's you. So, we're not, like, they actually serve you. Now you think about everything that we've learned about them this evening and yet they love to serve you and get you safely to heaven. They teach people in Luke 1, 11, 2 and 10. Um, so if you've ever learned anything, it may have been, you may have had like divine help to learn something. They teach people in Matthew 28, verses 2 to 7. They teach people in Acts 1, 10 to 11. They teach people in Luke 1, 26 to 38, and Matthew 28, 7 to 8. They guard Christians. Here's Psalm 34, verse 7. Angels camp around those that fear the Lord. Camp around them. This one's mine. That one's mine. 
find that in Genesis 32, 1 and 2 as well. Here's Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. Here's something to note. According to the Bible, we can be so destructive to ourselves and others and unreliable. How does God keep us and actually get us to heaven with our tendencies to like, be so destructive? For he shall give his angels charge over you. It like, takes more than one with that rogue. We go off script that much. Plural, it takes his angels to keep you because you need keeping. They fight for Christians in Daniel 10, 13. And here's my last page. They deliver Christians, as we heard with John Patton. You see that in Genesis 19, 5, 17, 2 Kings 6, verse 17, 2 Kings 19, verse 35, Daniel 3, verse 25, 28, Daniel 6, verse 22, and Acts 5, 19, and Acts 12, 7. The reason I'm listing it all is because people might be making notes later at home or something. And you don't want me to make this stuff up. They are present when Christians die. Luke 16, 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now on that note, as we draw to a conclusion, if you are a Jesus-centered church member here tonight, let me just end with a verse or two to try and show you just how determined your angel and his friends are to get you into the presence of God one day. And we come to, I think, the most mind-blowing verse of all about angels. I've mentioned it in passing. Matthew 18, verse 10. The Lord Jesus Christ says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Okay? So Jesus says, even the littlest in his kingdom, whoever, whoever we are, weak little us, whoever's the littlest in my kingdom, even they have an angel assigned to them to watch them and keep them. And the angel of every little believer is now currently seeing the face of the Father. That's what the angel's doing. And the Bible says one day, at the moment we're a little lower than the angels, but one day we're going to be over and judge the angels, 1 Corinthians 6.3. So it's almost saying this. It's like your angel in heaven right now is holding down the place for you, gazing at the Father, and one day they're going to get you there and essentially, you're going to replace and be above the angel to do what? Gaze at the Father's beauty. Gaze at the Father's beauty. And the angel's going to be like, ah, arrived, have you? At last. There you go. I've been holding this little place for you. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So we conclude. Take the unseen creation seriously because sometimes it bursts on the scene. Go above the material passing age in your minds this week. These things are near to us 
as Elijah revealed. Get confident we are not alone and we will be strengthened in our darkest hours. Angels have been tasked with making sure of that. And remember this, a Christian is always in a majority and always outnumbers the evil and the darkness. Jesus, in a very real way, holds us fast. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.